Welcome to the What Is Life Dude podcast. We're your hosts, Eric and Sarah. I'm a freelance musician. And I'm a vegan chef and food blogger. This is where we share our thoughts about building a healthy relationship, working as creatives on our own terms, and living with intention and authenticity. We don't have it all figured out yet, but every conversation gets us a little closer to answering the question, what is life, dude? Hello, and welcome back to the What Is Life Dude podcast. We are Sarah and Eric. Indeed, we are. This episode is going to be kind of piggybacking off of the previous episode where we did a deep dive into Eric's life, just to give you guys some more context about some of the formative events that have happened to him, and hopefully give you guys some things to relate to, because I know Eric and I are very different people, and you guys are all very different people. And I just like putting out as much of what we're comfortable with so that, I don't know, I feel like with everyone that I listen to, podcasts or creators, there's always like a few things I can connect with that makes me feel like if I want something that they have, something, some part of their life, it makes it more believable that I can do it too. Mm -hmm. And I know this isn't going to really matter past today, but this episode is coming out later than usual. And I feel like I don't even need to say that I'm, that I apologize for it, but I want to. So I'm sorry if you're like an early morning Wednesday listener mm-hmm. and um, you didn't have an episode this morning. But again, on Thursday, it, it won't matter. Mm-hmm. But anyway, just wanted to put that out there to make <laughs> myself feel better. It's okay. It's actually my fault because Not your I fault. had. <laughs> yesterday, I just had a bunch of work to do and I ended up working quite late into the afternoon, evening, and I needed to take a break. Yeah, I was just lying on the floor after work, listening to uh, podcasts and YouTube videos, decompressing. We usually we usually record the podcast on Monday morning, mm-hmm. and it is currently Wednesday morning, mm-hmm. which means this is going to go up right after we're done. Mm-hmm. So you know, an irregularity, but it happens. Right. Do you want to do a quick positivity box before we deep dive into? You? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yes, let's do it. Do you want to do first? Sure. Yeah. Um, Like every week when we do our positivity box, I feel like you're going to know what I'm going to say. I have no idea. Okay. Is it that it's the inauguration today? No. (laughs) No. While I'm mildly excited about that, um, I also don't. I'm also not that excited. I don't want to get into politics, but no, that's not my positivity (laughs) box. My positivity box is yoga. Oh, okay. We've been doing yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. We've been doing her newest 30-day, what do you want to call it? Yoga journey. Yoga journey. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Um, And it's great. I've never done yoga. I've only done yoga like a few times in Mm -hmm. my life, I think. And ever since the beginning of it, I, I had like this cathartic moment the first day of the uh, the series, and it's just been great ever since. Um, I don't want to get too much into it because we might want right. to do a little episode about how it's changed our brains and bodies, mm-hmm. but just know I'm enjoying it. I That's am too. That's my positivity box. I'm too. I'm proud of us for sticking to it. We haven't skipped any days or... I, I've done a couple of her yoga journeys in the past, and I've not done it day by day there have been some days where i skip and then i do two in one day and 
I am proud of us for finding time to do it every single day, even when we, when we don't necessarily want to, even when it's uh, past midnight and we're about to go to bed. Um, so, yeah. It is funny. We have done a handful of them, like, between 12 and 1 a.m., technically, mm-hmm. the next day. Yeah. But, you know, if we're still awake, it still counts. Right. Uh, my positivity box is a very small thing. Basically, there's been a singing bowl, a Tibetan singing bowl, mm-hmm. in our house for, well, since we moved in here. Because my aunt owns this house. She has a room here. She doesn't spend much time here at all because she's a flight attendant. She's based out of Jersey. But she has a bunch of her knickknacks and whatnots from her travels. And there's been this singing bowl sitting on a medicine cabinet. Um, and it's kind of just been used as a piece of decor. And I've been really interested in more like shamanic music. Uh, if you're watching our YouTube channel, because these episodes are now also available in video format on our YouTube channel, which we'll have linked in the show notes. I, I can't figure <laughs> out where to put it so that the camera can see it properly. Right. Eric is um, modeling the singing bowl. You want like to play a it? QVC model. I think you should play it. I should play you it. You should play it and back away from the microphone and hold it up and it'll get picked up. Well, now I'm kind of stressed because I'm worried it it takes some, uh, I don't want to say it takes like a tremendous amount of skill to get sound out of it, but it, it took me a little while to figure it out, Yeah, which is wh- part of the reason why I haven't touched it in so long because the first time I picked it up, I couldn't get it to sing. Mm. And I was like, well, this must be a dud. I'm like, where, <laughs> where did my aunt get this in some sort of like... I don't know. It turns out you just need some, um, it just takes some finagling. All right, Sarah's going to... Attempt. Okay. My hands are very sweaty now, so I'm like, is that going to affect the uh, quality no, of sound? You got it. Okay. I hope so hard that the, po- that the people listening to the podcast can hear that. If they can't, I'll uh, I'll boost it before this episode goes up. Right. I really like it. Each bowl is in a different key. This one, I believe, we determined is an A sharp. Yes? Mm-hmm. And I think I might have mentioned this in, the, in a previous episode, but I have been thinking more about how different keys, like the different emotional tones they carry. Um, I've been working with a vocal coach every once a week, like through Zoom, for the past few months, actually, it doesn't feel like that long, but she's very into like the breath work and we do all our warm ups with a shruti box, which is another one of those really cool like instruments that I think I was doing research and they said its origins are in China, but it's most commonly associated with like Indian music. It's basically it's basically like one of those um, fire what are they, like peppers you know what i'm talking about like they have those it's two like a handles. bellows system uh, bellows yeah. yeah you push push air through it you should listen to it it's very mystical sounding and i was learning a reading a little bit about how different keys are associated with different chakras and mm-hmm. different energy centers so anyway all of that is very interesting to me lately yeah yeah <laughs> okay well it's just funny because i would have bought i would have gone online and tried to buy a singing bowl but we just had one sitting in our house that i didn't have to buy we have to get 11 more okay. one for each <laughs> each other note in the scale well i have no problem with that okay we'll just have a row of them and then we can do them at the same time and we can make chords yeah that would be cool it would okay do you want to go into your your background listen <laughs> listeners viewers I am stressed because I feel like I'm not going to be able to do an adequate job of asking Sarah 
questions. Hmm. I, I I don't know I don't know why both <laughs> l- last episode and this episode have both been making me really uncomfortable for different reasons, and I'm never is, uncomfortable on the podcast. He is freaking out. We we recorded an entire intro and then we started over because we were both like, "Wow, I don't feel stressed at all." I think what I what I was saying before we started the recording over again is I think I'm not stressed because I've seen so many therapists in my life and I'm so used to talking about myself journaling about myself um a lot of the you know difficult things I've gone through I've done a lot of processing of already so this feels very comfortable to me it's like the mundane stuff that I have trouble like small talk I I really stress out when I have to do that but yeah you know Okay, I know we can make it through, and I know we can produce a good episode for you guys, okay? So right off the bat, just give us a little breakdown of where you were born, what your family's like, um, what your home life was. You can just give a little a little rundown. Okay. All right. Whew. Well, my name is Sarah. <laughs> I was a showgirl. Um, no. I I was born in Hawaii, in Honolulu. The fun fact I always give is I was born in the same hospital as President Obama was. <laughs> <laughs> that President Obama currently lives in. Yeah. Um, so my, my family was there. My mom and dad were there. I was the first child, first born. Uh, they were there because my dad worked in the restaurant industry. He was managing restaurants at the time. And I believe he was transferred there to help open up a new restaurant. I could be wrong, but... That's why they were there. I don't have any memory of having lived there because I was so young and I believe they left to Seattle um, or Tacoma, somewhere in Washington when I was pretty young where they lived very shortly again. My dad, all of my dad's family is in uh, Washington. He grew up there and left in search of sunshine Um, and then ended up in San Diego, I believe, and then in like the desert cities in Southern California, which is where my sister was born. Um, what can I say? My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked in the restaurant industry and then later in wine and spirits sales when I was a kid. So, and I feel like also because of our proximity to my maternal family, they lived in San Diego and we lived a couple of hours away. We spent a lot more time with them. So I always felt closer to, you know, my mom's side and that side of my culture. Um, my mom's family is Filipino. My grandparents on that side are from the Philippines. And on my dad's side, it's all, you know, like uh, Irish, German, French Canadian. There might be some other bits and bobs in there but to my knowledge that's that's what's there that's where the sullivan comes from white people yes (laughs) um well it's interesting this week was uh martin luther king jr day Mm -hmm. and you posted on your instagram story saying how when your parents were born interracial Mm -hmm. marriage wasn't even legal yeah and it was very low approval ratings i think they said in the 1950s only five percent of the public in the united states approved of interracial marriage they didn't really approve of like the blending of the races when for children i mean i don't want to sound like one of those people who is just trying to be as woke as possible just for the sake of sounding woke Mm -hmm. but like i truly don't understand why anyone would care yeah who gets married to who and i know that's like 
it's it's still an issue mm-hmm. obviously racism every kind of ism is still an issue mm-hmm. but it's just like it's unfathomable it's like really why do you give a shit right i mean i think it's just a matter of what your the beliefs you're born into and this is something we talk a lot about on the podcast is we just are by chance we come into this world into a specific family with its own beliefs and we don't really have a choice quite often and it's only when you're you become an adult and you're out in the world not that you can't start questioning things sooner but you have more agency when you're an adult and out living your own life to start questioning those beliefs and changing how you live so yeah, yeah i think it's interesting um and like kind of on that note i grew up very catholic both my parents are catholic i think my dad went to catholic private school as a as a young lad <laughs> and I don't know. I, I, it's definitely, it's not something I really think about anymore, but it was certainly a huge part of my life growing up, going to church every Sunday, um, going to catechism classes so I could get, you know, confirmed and such. And it's funny, I wasn't, I didn't get baptized when I was a baby the way a lot of children are. Um, I think my parents wanted me to have like an active participation with my spirituality. So I ended up getting baptized when I was in like middle school or something after I had already taken a bunch of catechism classes. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so as you were growing up, what kind of what kind of kid were you like socially in school? Um, and feel free to generalize mm-hmm. as you please here. Right. And like go to high school, middle school and like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever feels right. Okay. See how I'm just putting the ball <laughs> in her court. <laughs> right. Um, so it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of inner child work lately and learning a lot about that topic in spirituality, which if you're unfamiliar is is kind of just the practice of connecting with the like the kind of like the spirit of who you were as a child, because I think it gets, you know, buried under a lot of layers of conditioning. But there's a lot of wisdom in who we were as children and the things we naturally gravitated to in our hobbies and the things that made us happy. And um, I think I might have it's it's a blur because I'm I'm such a verbal processor, I think. And I also share a lot on social media. So sometimes I don't remember what we've shared on the podcast, but I did just order a bunch of art supplies Um because I remembered how much joy making visual art brought me as a child. That was very much my thing. I just, I was the kid who would always get art, people would give me art supplies for Christmas or birthdays. And I remember I used to love, I would take um, the covers of VHS cassettes we had, movies, Disney movies, and I would copy them. And if we had any illustrated books, I would copy those and I would make um, little cutouts of construction paper and make murals on the wall and such. I was just always making things. And that's something that I definitely lost my connection with, I think, as I got older and started identifying more with my intellect. Um, So I, I always loved art. And I think I wanted to be an artist from a very young age. And I also loved music, too. I didn't take any, I didn't have an instrument until like middle school, but I was always, always singing. I think Disney was so important to me. Like now that I think about wanting to be an, I always wanted to be an animator as a little kid, too, because I wanted to be able to bring the stories in my mind to life visually. And I also loved like singing along to all of the Disney princess music 
I was a very like I love dolls too. I was a very like stereotypically I guess feminine kid. I just wanted to like dress like a princess and make pretty things and draw flowers all day and sing Disney princess songs. Um, what can I say about that? So that's kind of why I reordered some watercolor supplies and watercolor paper and brushes last week. And I hope they get here soon. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were talking about like how we should all just be doing the things that made us happy as <laughs> a kid. I mean, obviously some people change like that, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, like for us, it's like we I want to play music and you want to play music and do art and you're like, mm-hmm. hmm, all the things that made me happy as a child are still making me happy as an adult. Mm-hmm. So it's nice that you're getting back to that. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was talking to Eric about this. He's always identified as someone who wanted to be a musician. And I think that's so cool that he never lost his connection to that like spark. Um, and for me, it's been very different. And it's weird because it was so it came so naturally to me and we when we had art art class you know in elementary school it was my favorite time of day and that was where I felt very recognized when people acknowledged that like oh this is really beautiful what you're making um and I don't know when I started to shift and identify more with being the quote-unquote smart kid I don't know when or where that came from and, you know, I feel like in, you know, in movies and books and stuff, you see the kid who's really gifted with one thing and then their parents kind of condition them to, you know, go after the lawyer career or the medical career. And I don't think that really happened. I think that it just somehow, I don't know where it came from. It's odd to say because I have thought a lot about it. Like, why did I lose that artistic side of me? But I did. And then I be, became this kid who was very studious I would really beat myself up if I didn't get all you know perfect scores on tests and stuff and I think I don't know if if it's still like this now but you know you'd get you take tests really young and they'd put you in like the quote gifted and gifted and talented education program so it was like that was like an acronym for gate um gate education and I was like oh I'm this gate student and I'm so smart and I'm in different classes than other students Um, and I feel like a lot of my cohort actually is like that like I feel because there was such a big division at my at the schools that I went to between kids who were in the more advanced courses and the not in the like normal I guess courses I just I don't know, it became such a huge part of my identity. And I just thought I have to go to an Ivy League school and I have to be valedictorian and I have to pursue this prestigious career. And I just completely, I just basically let numbers dictate my self-worth for a really long time. And I stopped painting and making art and writing. I think the only outlet I really had for my creativity for a while there was making music Uh, I would write songs until maybe like midway through high school. I was writing and recording songs in my (laughs) crappy little like recording setup at home. But yeah. Did you, how pressured did you feel? Well, like you said you didn't feel pressured to, oh, I have to become a doctor or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. But how pressured were you or did you feel to like excel in school? 
because you did. Mm-hmm. But yeah. was it parental? Also, it's like crazy windy here right now. And <laughs> I'm just like, I'm praying to the universe that it doesn't knock our power out while we're trying to do the podcast. I don't think it will. I don't think it will either. Um. So, yeah, I don't, I, I think that I may have been kind of subconsciously picking up on like my dad's identification with his intellect because I know, you know, he had left, um, I, from what he, he has had told me, basically he was also always a really like bright kid, but under applied himself. He was really eager to move away. So when he ha- had an opportunity to do that, he got a job and started working in restaurants and he lived in a couple different uh, states before he met my mom and, um, had me, but, he had always kind of said that he wished he got pursued higher education. And um, after I had moved out and gone to college and was living my life, I believe he went back and took some other some courses at our community college back in my hometown to kind of maybe see if he could, you know, do that as an adult now that he didn't have the pressure of necessarily providing for my entire family. So I know I know that he always valued that and my grandfather his father was a lawyer and a judge like a very smart person and I think that maybe in some sense he wished that he could have that too not necessarily that lifestyle but to be recognized for your mind and I think that's always been I think that's maybe where that came from and even though he never said like oh you know artists are like all the stereotypes about artists being like poor and like dirty hippies and stuff like that um he never said those things to me but I think that I sort of started to internalize them maybe from the media or just you know Mm -hmm. society um and I noticed that if I did well in school he was always very proud of me and you know he'd put like the bumper sticker on if I was an honor student and he'd show up to my to like assemblies if I was going to be getting a certificate and I don't know I think that's maybe the beginnings of that um need to be the smart kid and and I wasn't just like I didn't just want to be smart I wanted to be like the best and I I think I always identified as someone who really didn't like other people I was always very introverted like Actually, socially anxious is the proper term. It's hard to... It, I, I don't connect with that anymore. I don't feel like um, excessively socially anxious to the point where it interferes with my daily life. But it I, I certainly was that kid. I didn't have... I had like one friend in elementary school. She moved away going into middle school, which is like the worst time to not have a friend mm-hmm. when you're like all teenagers and you're in a new school and yeah. So I was very shy, painfully shy. I don't think I could like look people in the eye until like a couple years ago, maybe. Maybe when I started working at a restaurant, I became a little more comfortable with other people and the small talk thing. But yeah, very, very alone. I think maybe that's another reason why I was able to really dig into my studies because it just gave me some reason to be busy, like allowed me to justify why I didn't have like a social life, um, just doing, just studying all the time and working on my extracurriculars, like community service and stuff so I could get into a good school. 
And it's interesting because I think a lot of us feel that once we have the certain thing that we want, that it's going to like, oh, then I can be happy. Like, I don't get along with people in my high school because they don't have the same goals as me. And I'm just different. And once I get to Stanford or whatever school I end up going to, then um, then I can be happy and I'll find my people because we're just fundamentally better. And that's just never the case, you know? Yeah. Why did you say, or whatever school? <laughs> Cause well, because you... I didn't, that's the thing. And like, here's how you know when when something is coming from the wrong motivation is like when multiple things become kind of interchangeable. You're like, well, I don't really care what school I go to as long as it's an Ivy League or like Stanford's not really an Ivy League school, but it's up there, you know? I think it was like a maybe 6% uh, acceptance rate the year I got in. And like, I just didn't care. I was like, I just want to do the best. And I don't care if I'm a doctor or the doctor, lawyer, like mm-hmm. engineer. They're fundamentally different career paths. Yeah. And I just treated them as interchangeable because I really cared about having that career that looked um, prestigious. Which is so outside. sad because yeah. like you should want to be a lawyer mm-hmm. to help people. You should want to be a doctor to help people. Yeah. <laughs> like like you should want to do whatever you want to do for mm-hmm. reasons ex- that extend beyond well they pay y'all they pay a lot. Right. You know and that whole like culture is so that's why as you heard in last week's episode with me like mm-hmm. my academic life was so much different mm-hmm. cuz my parents were like yeah I mean we don't want you to fail out of school but if you want to be a musician we're not going to try to get you to be valedictorian and then mm-hmm. go to Stanford. Yeah. Cuz why why do it right you know and it's funny because there stanford happens to have a really great music program but i was so laser it's funny i say laser focused but also like completely not laser focused because i just i had no idea who i was what i wanted to do i i got into my first relationship when i was i think 15 and we kind of just we were like the same and that we wanted to just take people down and like be the best and get into that good school. I think we mentioned in a previous episode, we recently were rewatching parts of Gilmore girls. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with the show, it's like kind of an older show, but it starts out with this mom and her, the single mom and her daughter. And the daughter is very um, academically driven, wants to go to Harvard, has wanted to go to Harvard since she was like four years old. And I remember in high school watching the show, I was so identified with this character, Rory, as was my boyfriend at the time. And that was just all we cared about. Um, And I remember loving this character so much. And now as an adult, and I'm 29, Eric and I were watching the show again. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so fucking sad. You know, like, obviously, if you know exactly what you want to do and you feel very like, I feel like some people come into the world with a, with this mission. And if you feel connected to, to that at a young age and, um, you know, going to an Ivy League school is going to fast track you to get there, then by all means, like, pursue it. But my my motivations were so, like, messed up. And I ended up going to this school where there actually were a lot of opportunities to study the things that I love like I could have studied music, I could have gotten a degree in art, and I just I ended up floundering and like going from one um, educational path to another. Like I went in thinking I was pre med, took a bunch of really fucking hard chemistry courses that kicked my ass, and I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. And I just changed my major so many times, and I ended up, um, what I, I ended up in uh, majoring 
declaring a major at least in computer science and I actually I think I was pretty good at that but I just my again my motivations were very cloudy it wasn't for fun and that was when I had my little mental breakdown (laughs) so if it wasn't clear Sarah did end up going to Stanford (laughs) I I, I've been waiting to say that but like I'm sure it became obvious because we kept specifically referencing Stanford um and also it's funny talking about you and your ex-boyfriend it's weird hearing boyfriend and you and it not being referring to me yeah that's very it's very weird after so many years of being in a relationship yeah um but it's you know you were talking about how like you were both like we want to take everyone down and like be the best Mm -hmm. and i just feel like the culmination of that would usually be like oh and you know they did fine but like (laughs) sarah and her ex-boyfriend were (laughs) co-valedictorian at their high school which to me is the funniest thing ever i mean isn't it absurd though because so basically there were a couple of other people who really were gunning for that top spot as well and in order to (laughs) in order to come out on top basically i ended up my boyfriend and i ended up taking a bunch of extra courses at our community college because you could do that what was it it was a, a program where you could do that and it would add on to your gpa and so I, I needed basically to have a GPA that was above. We didn't have just 4.0. Basically, 4.0 was what you could get if you were taking the regular like college prep courses. But if you were taking honors and AP courses, you could get a 5.0. Mm-hmm. And then if you were taking <laughs> if you were taking college courses, you could get in excess of that. So not only did we take a bunch of college courses together, but we also kept them secret so that other people didn't know like how many courses they had to take to outdo us you're kind of in a weird way there's a hair on your leg and i really (laughs) want to get it off for some reason um in a weird way in a less malicious way you're like claire and frank underwood yeah uh, the show house of cards (laughs) it was it's bonkers just to think about how much i cared and how much i hated the other like on a personal deep level i had this burning hatred for anyone who was trying to stand in our way and i just think back on that person i was and i'm like i was evil like do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. that's not who i am because well we we've been talking about this too but when you say like that's not who i am i mean it is who you are at this moment but you're acknowledging that you know better mm-hmm. and i did know better i think but i just got lost in the sauce <laughs> the proverbial sauce so was there anything that else that happened like elementary, middle, high school that was um, <laughs> traumatic, uh, noteworthy for the podcast? Right. Or did it mostly, did that whole time of your life mostly revolve around like, I'm going to get into a good college? Mm-hmm. So I, I've, <laughs> I've always been mentally ill, just for the record, for anyone who didn't know, um, it and it started i thought i thought that my main problem was just social anxiety and that's the part that m- most hindered my ability to like live life normally like i always say there was a time when i couldn't look people in the eye when people like i was taking a photo someone was taking a photo of me as a little kid you know and i couldn't smile i would if you're looking if you're watching us i, I would do this in all my old photos like I would just purse my lips because I couldn't smile. It was so awkward. Every time my parents went in for like a parent teacher conference, all the teachers would be like, I'm really concerned. Like Sarah doesn't talk. 
Um, and, you know, I just couldn't. And do you know what your parents like how they responded to that? I think my dad has always been. I don't know. He just always. I think because he knew how I was like in our family life, he knew there was nothing like wrong, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I haven't really thought too hard about that. And I, I wonder like what I would do if I were in that situation where my child was having a really hard time adjusting. I used to have a lot of like little, uh, I don't know if tantrum is the right word, but I, I was a very, very anxious kid. There were a lot of times when I would just start crying. Like anytime I had to work with another student in elementary school, um, I would, I was very afraid to like ask to use the restroom. So I would like pee my pants all the time and my dad would have to come get me. I think there was a time when I like knew I felt really sick, but I didn't want to ask to like go to the bathroom. So I just barfed all over my desk. And it's funny because I barfed like all over this journal. We had like free writing time every morning. I think this was like first grade free writing time. And so they would give you a journal that had um, like half the page was a box to draw a picture in and half the page was uh, lines to write. And that was every single page. And then once you filled up one of those, they would give you the advanced journal, which was the first page was um, the box to draw a picture. And then the rest was lines. And then the back side of the page was all lines. So there was more room for writing. And I was the first person, the first kid in my class to get through the first journal and graduate to the advanced journal. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And Isn't I barfed all over my journal that had all my stories in it and my, my pictures. And I was devastated. I, I, it's so, first of all, it makes me so sad yeah. thinking of like a little child you just struggling like that mm-hmm. um but it's also like where does that where does that come from like at such a young age yeah i, I, I guess this is what you, you're trying to figure out right this is this is what we're trying to figure out about ourselves all the time <laughs> yeah i think for a long time i was trying to figure out what was wrong with me until very recently and now i'm realizing that sometimes what serves you better is to figure out what's right with you and mm-hmm. just do more of that because I think that maybe if I'd had an outlet for all of the things I loved, then I wouldn't have been so, I wouldn't have, I don't know, if I could, it could have just been validated for what talents I did have, I might not have felt the need to like be that super smart kid. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, you know, it was bad that I, I'm always very like at peace with what has happened in the past. So I, I know that I had to do that in order to realize that there are other things that matter. Like I am... Like at my core, I identify so much more as like an art, an artist and a maker of things than as like, I don't, I don't need to be smarter than everyone. I just need to know what I know. And there's so many different ways that like intelligence and intuition and your artistic sensibilities can manifest. So yeah, I don't know where it came from, but I just always felt very different. I felt very sad, like as my baseline emotion Mm -hmm. i've just always had this undercurrent of like melancholy like anytime i'm not working on something i wonder what the point is of being here like even as a very small kid and i i didn't have a lot of friends and i don't know it, it started to become a real problem where i started having panic attacks in high school and i think it was because i remember my first panic attack actually was in in senior year 
I had to go to this um, because I was like one of the top students, I guess. They wanted to have a, they wanted to take us on a field trip to one of like the local Mexican restaurants and like announce some awards and stuff. And I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be like sitting side by side with, right? Because like, I think most people are fairly well adjusted. So there were a lot of really smart like kids who were also popular kids and just like had friends and I didn't want to go. So I didn't have my mom sign the waiver. So I was like, I I guess I can't go. So I'm sitting in Latin class. You mean you didn't ask your mom to sign the waiver? Mm -hmm. I just said I, I, I forgot to get it signed. So I'm sitting in Latin class on the day that this field trip is supposed to be. And the phone rings for the class and my teacher goes up and she's like, oh, this guy needs to talk to you. And it's our like assistant principal. And he's like, oh, did you get your waiver signed? And I'm like, no, sorry, I couldn't. And he's like, oh, that's okay. I'll just call your mom. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I really don't want to go. And so he calls my mom, gets clearance. They're like, okay, go meet them in the parking lot. And I'm literally like crying, like having a, a massive freak out on the way there. And once you have one panic attack, you you start to be anxious not only about the thing that caused the panic attack, but also about having a panic attack in public because it's, I, I don't know, I, it's a little different for everyone, I guess, but you feel like you're dying. And um, so then I start having more panic attacks. And then I, that was when I saw my first, actually, I didn't see a therapist at the beginning. I just went to my GP and she prescribed me Xanax and Lexapro. And that was uh, 18. I got on my first uh, psychiatric medications. Isn't it funny? We just like, oh, here, instead of trying to like fix you, we'll just throw medication at you. I mean, I know, I know anti-anxiety and antidepressants, like mm-hmm. they really do work, mm-hmm. right? But don't you just feel like it shouldn't be the first, like the first attempt at making you feel better? Yeah. Right. I think it it kind of varies. I feel like if you're in a at a point at which maybe people are worried about your safety because of mm-hmm. your mental health, then it, I guess it does make sense to take those drastic measures, but I think they really it, it really is drastic the way they affect your mind. Yeah. And I think I didn't really question it because my dad I know had struggled with depression for much of his life and had and that was one of the reasons why he left the uh, Pacific Northwest because of the darkness, but I, he, he always said like, oh, this medication saved my life. Mm-hmm. Like those were the words he used. And I was like, oh, well, I guess it's just, I, I just have my dad's mind and this will help. And that was the first of many, many, many medications that I tried. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I I'm not going to pivot this episode to being about me, but mm-hmm. now that you say that, I, I don't think I talked about it at all in the last episode, but mm-hmm. I, I had so much anxiety when I was younger too, mm-hmm. that, I mean, I talked about when I was talking about my heart issues, mm-hmm. but like when my parents got divorced, I would, I, I, I didn't like have panic attacks. I just had stomach aches all the time mm-hmm. and I would go to the bathroom. And I, like I wasn't afraid to ask to go to the bathroom. I was just embarrassed because I had to go to the bathroom all the time and have diarrhea. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I know it's gross, <laughs> but the word is just so gross too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, didn't even like think about that until you started talking about panicking in school and i was like me for a whole different reason like i remember field trips stress me the hell out too mm-hmm. um and i just never thought about that my stepmom claudia actually texted me after she listened to the last episode 
and she was like what about this what about, do, you, do you remember you what about, <laughs> you played little league you live with a girlfriend like what about all these things that happened in your life and i was like yeah i didn't um think about them during the episode right but so now that you're saying we things, can do another another i don't installment. want to no <laughs> i don't want to okay well we could do a blended installment where we both just tie up loose ends because okay yeah we could yeah but anyway yeah do you want to before we move on do you want to do our supporter shout out hi guys we're pausing this conversation for a few moments to give a big thank you to our supporters these are our listeners who make a monthly contribution through anchor which is our hosting platform if you'd like to become a supporter as well, you can visit anchor.fm slash whatislifedude and click on the support button. And if you enjoy the show, another great way to support us is by giving us a positive rating and a review on iTunes. Just takes a few moments and it helps new listeners find the podcast so we can continue to grow our community. So thank you so much to everyone who supports us in one way or another. This podcast wouldn't exist without you guys. So without further ado, shout out to our Anchor supporters. Marie Zimmerman, Alexis May Dooley, Karen B.W., Inga Pfeiffer, Kevin P. Dooley, Scotty Draper, Izzy, Sarah Creighton, Dylan Schaubin, Nina Schmidt, Anna Dureka, Morgan Lassiter, Annalise, Megan Stewart, Teresa Madara, Glenn Ames, Jessica Chelgren, Jennifer, Quinn, and Samantha McIntyre. And now back to the show. Okay, where were we? Sarah successfully peed <laughs> while we while we took that break. Right. Um. So college, college. Okay. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? It's very. You're better at um, saying things than I am. Oh yeah. And like figuring <laughs> things. Like I don't think that's true. Okay. What I mean is, last episode I needed you to say like, okay, here's a specific question about this. Answer mm-hmm. it. But with me, I'm just kind of like throwing stuff at you, and you're. <laughs> Okay. Do you want to go to college? Right. Sure. And it's funny because I, Eric and I both were so different in our, in the areas in which we're comfortable. It's like you can throw Eric into a crowd of people and he will pull it off with grace and finesse. And I can't do that. I'll just disappear into a corner. But I've never, I've oddly just never been afraid of public speaking. I've never been afraid of being on, in videos. I mean, YouTube is like really the perfect career for me, or at least it was at one point, mm-hmm. because I'm, I don't know, I just can't, I can't do the one-on-one sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So college, as I mentioned, I went in just, I thought I was going to be a doctor, which is so stupid because I hate blood. Like, I have the worst gag reflex of all time. I can't even, like, look at a, it's not on me. Like, if I cut myself, I'm fine. But in in film or television, the moment anything gets remotely bloody, I leave. I leave the room. So it was strictly because you felt like (laughs) you were supposed to pursue that as a career. Mm -hmm. That's just one of those things that, like, you're supposed to do. Right. It's one of your options. And and here's another thing is that I ended up my – I was going to say my partner. My boyfriend then at the time went to Stanford as well, and he – wanted to be a doctor and so I was like why not because I was very like insecure I think in relationships I was always very like a jealous person for no reason either like no one ever gave me reason to be particularly jealous but like 
I just was and I felt like I need to be glued to your side all the time or we're going to grow apart. So I think that's part, well, that's probably the main reason why I started with medicine. Um, and it, it was hard, right? Like to go from being like number one and the, the smartest <laughs> kid in your high school. And then all of a sudden everyone's just as smart as you or way mm-hmm. smarter. And I mean, I'm grateful for it, though, because it didn't allow me to coast through a program that would have ultimately made me really unhappy. So I quit that pretty quickly. I switched to law. So I think I like declared in the philosophy department, which now that I think about it, I, w- I really wish I could go back as the person I am now and take courses in philosophy and religious studies because that is fascinating to me. But I really just wasn't engaging with it. I was really mentally ill at the time on all of my medications. I at some point, well, actually, I developed an eating disorder after my first breakup in what the summer after freshman year. So then that became like a really big energy consuming, time consuming piece of my life, which I don't ever really think about now because at long last, I feel like my relationship with food is very healthy. But for a long time, it really wasn't my sweaty <laughs> Eric just gave me a high five and my hand is very sweaty um and, and clammy because it's cold in here um, sorry where, where else can we go with this well I need direction because my mind just expands in mm-hmm. like 30 different directions at any given moment <laughs> I mean I just think it's interesting I use that mm-hmm. word all the time on the podcast yeah it's interesting that you know we've both had these ailments mm-hmm. you know throughout our lives and mine have been physical mm-hmm. for the most part and yours have been emotional for the most part emotional mental mm-hmm. um that's it that's all i have to say that was the whole thought right so maybe if we can just dig a little bit deeper into that topic mm-hmm. i i think it's so interesting it's almost something i forgot to mention like the eating disorder and it that's crazy to me because i it was su- such an all-consuming thing for years and years and years, and now I, I don't think about it. And isn't that crazy to be able to say that when you don't ever think that you can see mm-hmm. the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. And then you are. And there have been so many things like that in my life. Like, you know, just am I? I have a lot of dreams where I'm back at school, and I don't think I'm going to graduate. this is a recurring dream and it looks a little bit different every single time or I like don't have my schedule or I don't have a map and I don't know where I'm going. Are you at Stanford or are you in high school? Both. Mm -hmm. Sometimes both at the same time. You know how in dreams like you can just understand that something is something else. Yeah. Yeah, So I I feel like maybe there's there's a little bit more for me personally to process and unpack there. But I just there was I just didn't know if I was going to make it out. Like if I was going to go to Stanford and then end up being a complete failure. And I couldn't handle that. And I, so right around the time I was dealing with this eating disorder and it was very clear, I was quite fucked up. I was seeing a counselor. Um, There's just so much actually that I'm like, haven't even mentioned that was such a big deal. 
like are you talking with the therapist who was a bad guy yeah and a bad therapist well and like my entire roommate situation i don't want to get too far into this because this is an entirely different video on its own but i think i do have um a youtube video about it if you go onto my channel many years ago is all about social anxiety but freshman year i had this terrible roommate situation uh not that i wasn't partly to blame for it but we just were not the right roommates for each other so i ended up spending a lot of time not in my room I would wait until I could see the lights off in our window before I'd go back so I didn't have to talk to her. And yeah, that was a whole mess. Went through the breakup in the summer and then had the eating disorder and I was... So the thing with your roommate, you brought it up to Stanford multiple times and they just they didn't do anything about it, right? Right, right. They didn't do anything to change I, the situation you were in? I think that they believed I was trying to manipulate them so I could have my own room. But I didn't really need my own room. I just wanted a different roommate. Um, how can some people not sense like how other people are? Right. I mean, like, sure, sometimes it's difficult. But don't you think don't you think professionals mm -hmm. at a major college like <laughs> would be able to understand yeah. That you're having a real issue and you're not bullshitting them. Like, can't, wouldn't they be able to tell that you're not the kind of person who would bullshit them? I don't know. Can't people just, like, have some sense sometimes? It, it was, like, how many years ago? And I'm, I'm angry about it now mm. for you. Yeah. Just, like, figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I wish they had had tried a little bit harder. They didn't bring me to a therapist. They just had me talk to the residence dean, who I guess probably isn't well-versed in these topics but probably should be um but it's funny because i talked to this guy the residence dean and he was trying to understand like what my issues were i was like very problematic i guess for all the staff because they didn't know why i was never there and why i wasn't participating in any of you know the bonding events or going to any of the the trips and like similarly like all of the staff at my boyfriend's uh residence were like I was a problem for them too because I was always there and it's funny my boyfriend's roommate at the time he was a Filipino guy and he was very nice to me so I always think about like should I find him and say thank you because I was really fucked up at the time probably just, you like probably can pretty easily yeah um he's a Filipino guy from Long Island oh really yeah <laughs> nice yeah I never met a Filipino person until <laughs> Well, I don't know when, but it definitely wasn't on Long Island. You find out he like went to your school. That would You're be like, funny. Oh, Ronnie. Is that his name? Ronnie. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll look him up later and maybe he did. Yeah. Anyway, where am I? Um, oh, so my sophomore year, this is where things got really weird because I started taking, I guess, new medication. I started seeing a therapist. I started seeing the therapist on Stanford campus, but something about whatever medical cocktail i was on caused me to become extremely manic and like very extroverted which was extremely out of character for me so i was like the dorm social chair and i was like going and knocking on everyone's door to get them to sign a birthday card for like one of the residents and i was making the cake and i like i was i don't know i just became very very weird and extroverted and just batshit crazy <laughs> I, I got into like a physical fight with someone actually in one of our lunchrooms. Did I tell you that? I think you may have. Do you want to give a brief a brief synopsis? I don't really want to. Okay, but that's totally fine. It was fine. Um, it's it's like I can't 
I can't comprehend you being in any any of these ways. Yeah. Like I I just know you now as a person who's so good at okay, I feel bad for some reason. Now I'm going to I'm just going to sit on mm-hmm. the floor and think about it. Yeah. And figure it out. So I can't it's hard for me to imagine you being either side of what you just talked about, mm-hmm. either being really manic and having people sign a birthday card and being super social. Yeah. I'm like, what? And then you being, I, I don't even, it's it's like you being sad and going through bad things and <laughs> not just like processing it like yeah. you do now. Mm-hmm. I, I can't, It's it's weird to me. Yeah, I mean, and it's funny because for a long time, I really missed that version of me. Like once things changed and I went back to my kind of introverted, calm, calmer self, I was like, man, like that's someone who could get things done. I mean, I was a total mess. I wasn't going to any of my classes. I was like nocturnal, essentially, or I guess I had like a polyphasic sleep schedule. I would sleep in like three hour batches. Um and so when I when I met my next boyfriend, who I was in a relationship kind of on and off for a long, long time. And that was like, that's another one of those situations where you're in it and you're like, is this going to end? Like, and then you move past it and you're like, oh, my God, thank God, like I could still be there. I, and it's, it's weird. Like, I don't want to talk shit on that relationship because it was like just where I was at the time. And I think our the relationships we attract always reflect something important back to us but it's just weird to be in something with someone for so long and be so unhappy and assume that it's because of you because you're seeing the situation in the wrong way or if if I weren't so mentally ill then I'd just be happy with this because this is like a, a secure situation and my parents like him and all of that and I guess like the theme of the theme of my journey and I guess everyone's journey is just sometimes your mind isn't lying to you sometimes you just know what's best for you and the more you try to rationalize what you're doing that you know in your heart is not the right thing like the deeper and deeper you're gonna go into this dark hole and it's gonna be harder to get out of you know Mm -hmm. so yeah so I I don't want to just like jump from thing to thing, but what else do you want to touch on during this era? Do you want to talk about the hospital? (laughs) Okay. Briefly. Yeah, actually, this is really important because it has to do with art. It's a story I've told you, which is so in um, my junior year. So this would have been 2011. And I always say it's so interesting because I, I ended up getting hospitalized i got i had a psychiatric hospitalization an involuntary one i guess in california it's it's called a 5150 it's like the code for it but i had been feeling really dark and suicidal and i ended up getting hospitalized and i got it was funny because they took me in a, a cop car which is what they do if they think you're a danger to yourself they put you where the bad guys go i guess um and they handcuff you it's so wrong it's so wrong. Right. Like we need, I'm sorry, we need another group of people to handle things like this. Because I can't imagine how much worse it made you feel 
that you felt like you were being arrested. Yeah. It shouldn't be cops. (laughs) That's not what cops are for. Right. Well, I was in the psych ward for about a week. And it's interesting because when they think you're a danger to yourself, they really do surveil you constantly. And they plan out all your activities and they give you Ambien every night you have to take. And then they wake you up, I think, at seven. And every like half an hour or so, you see like a little flashlight in through the window on your door because you're you can't be alone um but i do remember like i was like a model patient they always said that to me they were like oh you're such a good patient because i would go to the groups and i would participate and i would say like meaningful things and that's like very me is that i'm so good at like intellectualizing everything like i understand what it takes to to like think your way out of your sadness like i i've done a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy which is all about just reframing things so you react you have different automatic thoughts in response to different stimuli that typically stress you out or make you sad or angry like it's all like i understand but it's just something in my my physiology i guess prevents me from it it doesn't stick you know so it's like I'll be like really upset, but I'll say I'll I'll be able to like say the things that might soothe somebody else out of it, but it doesn't work on me. Mm-hmm. But anyway, like I would go and I would participate and say all these meaningful things and like pep talk other people at the groups and then I would go back and be depressed. Um, but I remember that was like one of the first times I connected with art again. We had just like this art room because they just have like a bunch of different activities for you to do because you can't contact anyone from the outside world. You know, you can't be on Facebook. Um, you, there's just a bunch of books and they had some instruments, I believe. And then they had an art room. Let me just ask, do you feel like when you were going to those groups and you were you were uh, helping people through words, mm-hmm. do you feel like you were bullshitting or do you feel like you believed what you were telling them and you just couldn't apply it to yourself i can do both mm-hmm. I, and were you doing both i think i think part of me i've always identified as like a little evil like until maybe recently mm-hmm. like i feel like i i oh this is the other thing is that that's the year i got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and I think one of the stereotypes, I guess, about these people is they can be very manipulative. Like, they can make you think that something is their your fault. Like, if you get in a blow-up. Like, the whole thing that characterizes borderline personality disorder is unstable relationships or tumultuous relationships with the self and others. And so I am very good at manipulating people, I think. <laughs> Which is why I've always been like, am I a bad person and my evil and my dark um and i certainly did that a lot in past relationships where i would like definitely i would people would gaslight me and then i would gaslight them back you know yeah i mean and not to make light of it but i haven't felt like you've done that in our relationship at all mm-hmm. though i wouldn't know if you, <laughs> if you were because that's the whole point but again, well, not think, to make light of the situation. I think you know if you felt shitty all the time and you mm-hmm. thought it was your fault that you felt shitty yeah. and I was better than you and smarter than you. You tend and... to make me feel good. Oh, nice. Which I appreciate. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I, I don't think I identify with that. I think it definitely was a diagnostic 
label for me that fit at the time and for a couple of years after. Mm. But I don't think that, I mean, my last therapist that I saw, I told her about that diagnosis and she was like, oh, that is weird. Yeah. I don't see that for you. But mm-hmm. I remember when I got out of the hospital, I would bike to my therapist that they set me up with. <laughs> this bad therapist that I had for uh, longer than I should have because I was afraid to cancel with him. But I would go and he would do all this weird Freudian stuff and he would try to interpret my dreams. It's funny because like this is all stuff that I do, I am interested in, but the way he did it, it felt so like dark and insidious. Oh, it's a screensaver. Yeah. I was sorry. Sarah's computer like <laughs> changed screens and I was like, our recording's gone. It's a screensaver. Got it. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, he was a bad guy and he was just kind of manipulative in the way that he would make, he would require you to like cancel appointments like immediately or he'd charge you. So I was like playing nice with him for a while. And then on the last day that I finally decided to like not see him again, I just completely gave him a piece of my mind and I told him that everything that he had told me was bullshit and blah 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 and I had lied about a bunch of stuff because I can't imagine you doing this but I love that you did yeah I don't I would not do that now but I was like still in that crazy mode and I had been kind of misdiagnosed actually with uh, bipolar 2 because I had I was going through those manic phases and which I don't really anymore and I wasn't sleeping and, and I was like having like laughing fits and stuff. And so I was on like a bunch of bipolar meds, which I shouldn't have been on. And I think that really like made me even more a little like unhinged. <laughs> so I was just like getting in a fight with this guy and I like biked back home. And what was his, what, how did he respond <laughs> what was his to name? That? Um, <laughs> Um, he, these are the words that I'll never forget is he like took what I said and then he said, um, Stanford can't confer degrees posthumously, which is basically like, if you die, Mm. Stanford can't give you a degree. What? Right. Who is the, why? Well, I actually know who he is. We've looked him up before. (laughs) He has very low ratings, which really tickles my heart. I feel like I should maybe leave a rating or contact him. Should I a- a request him on LinkedIn? I think we should cancel him. <laughs> like, I think we should we should enact cancel culture onto this garbage person. Maybe we can have him on the podcast. I mean, that would be funny. I mean, <laughs> like you said, like the reviews on what, what website? You know, one of those websites that conglomerates um, therapists for you to find. And you can leave ratings. And that guy's ratings, they all say... Basically, he made me feel worse. Yeah, like he was mean to me. Yeah, which I I don't I don't understand how you're you're a therapist. If I think sometimes people have this fascination with the psyche, but they you don't need to be a therapist. You know, you can be you can be in in an academic setting that probably would have been much better for him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, okay, I'm. I, I, I'm trying to figure out where to go. I'm also, I'm not used to being able to touch you like we talked about last week. Because right. now that we're filming the podcast, we have to be right next to each other. Uh-huh. And it's quite nice. Yeah. Hi. Okay, so what's next? I, I think it's so funny. I'm else? like, I'm laughing at all of this. And it all feels like, I, I feel like I presented it in somewhat of a disorganized fashion. Because I was just remembering details here and there. 
which again, like is so funny to me because when I was in the thick of this and I thought I was going to be fucked up forever and I, I just, to, to think that one day I'd be far enough out of it that I could just forget details mm. is amazing. So I guess then my, my, what I want to say to anyone listening who feels like they are in that, what could you call it? Dark night of the soul mm. or um rock bottom there if you stick it out long enough you are just going to get better to some degree you'll have new like different your problems will evolve i guess but you'll also evolve and you don't even necessarily have to try like i think a lot of the healing i've done has just been um a matter of getting older especially my healing around my food my relationship with my body i feel like i didn't i couldn't have rushed that i just had to keep living Mm -hmm. and and develop an appreciation for what the body can do yeah so yeah you'll be okay how much of like how many of your total experiences that you feel like shaped you happened um like happened in the time we've already talked about and that we've discussed like not not talking about how you've processed it and when you processed it right because that's still happening mm-hmm. but like the actual experiences that you feel like shaped you do you feel like we've talked about most of them already um yeah i and, do and, i mean and obviously then it's been more healing and learning about them yeah i mean i think like the relationship that i mentioned before was a huge like dark spot for my entire life the one in college that lasted outside of college that lasted until like shortly before we started dating like i was so stuck in that and it's weird because i did not know that relationships were supposed to feel different Mm -hmm. i knew that i didn't want to be in it which sounds crazy because then you're like well why don't you just leave i feel like it's very easy to say that like why don't you just leave yeah but to me it's kind of like the way a lot of people feel about jobs. It's like, I don't really like my job. It sucks. Well, why don't you just leave? And it's because there's so much, it's like a this deep network of unworthiness. And you're like, well, no one else is going to come along who will love me because I'm messed up. And this person was there with me when I was at my very worst, when I was hospitalized. And I owe it in some sense to this person to be around when things aren't great on, on both ends, right? And so I feel like if that was the only difficult thing that had ever happened to me was that relationship, then that would already be enough of a lesson for an entire lifetime mm-hmm. to be like, you have to make room. We, talk, we talked about this a little bit in the episode about making space, but you can't have something better if you're not making room for it. Mm-hmm. A new relationship with someone who has the things that you want is not going to materialize if you are still living the life of someone in a relationship you don't like. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also like there's a lot of limiting beliefs about what kind of person you can manifest. I don't I don't like to use that word too much because it sounds very like woo-woo and pop psych and stuff or pop spirituality but until you have like right a lot of the times our main example for what a healthy relationship looks like is our parents 
And we assume that everything that they do is healthy, kind of, unless, I don't know, just what you see around you is all that you have to go off of on what you think relationships look like. And my my relationship with you, for example, looks very different than my parents' relationship did. And I couldn't have known that our relationship was possible, right? So when you have a different relationship that feels like you have like your bases covered essentially just basically like I am secure I have a roof over my head this person's probably not ever going to leave me and also I felt like in some ways I had like the upper hand in the relationship because I knew that he liked me more than I liked him and I think that's a source of power for a lot of people it's like very perverted power but people are afraid to it, it feels vulnerable when you are really all in in a relationship. And so I felt like I could always have the upper hand and I could get what I wanted. And I don't know, just I would have loved to, I would love to like talk to my past self and just be like, just look for the relationships in the world that feel good, like find example, like expanders, right? Mm-hmm. Like find other relationships in the public on social media that look more aligned for you and let your subconscious know that it's possible to have that like it's possible to have someone who like I'm always like Eric never falls asleep when I'm talking to him at night and I talk a lot and I'm like I never knew that that was possible isn't that crazy it's so basic just a matter of like basic respect or someone who just wants to hang out with me in the kitchen just like be there when I'm washing dishes or cooking something you know what I mean Like, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that is one of the most important things that I have, I guess, learned. Like, that that's possible and that I deserve that. Um, And you don't have to stay in anything that isn't suited to you because you're afraid of what other people will think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and for me, the only, like, really meaningful relationship... I was in before you was kind of what your first relationship was like also where it was we were together in high school and then college and then at some point we realized we didn't we didn't get along like we like we just grew up we just mm-hmm. it just years went by and we we're like oh you know we we thought this wouldn't happen but look we're different people now mm-hmm. um and then whatever happened and now we're together and it's you kind of would you say your your experience with your high school boyfriend kind of was like that where you grew up and then you grew apart because you grew up mm. would you say it was similar to that i guess so i mean we did break up because he was gay <laughs> and he started dating someone else so that was very i think that was it felt so traumatic to me and now i laugh about it because it's just a funny story but mm-hmm. at the time like i thought i was gonna die right that's why i ended up seeing a therapist and yeah. being so fucked up but like but on top of that like it was a very dramatic relationship we were fighting and breaking up all the time getting back together like it was we were both manipulative and i that's just like who we were as, as kids basically mm-hmm. i think because we weren't suited to each other and we didn't know who we were or what we wanted. Yeah. I only bring that up because then you had another long, serious relationship before me, mm-hmm. whereas I didn't. Mm-hmm. And a part of the reason is because I'm younger than you. So there was 
literally less time for me to have another relationship mm-hmm. um but yeah you just you have that extra experience yeah it was it's overrated <laughs> <laughs> it sucked yeah, oh I man you mean. when i think about the person i was in that relationship and how just i just hated myself and i it was very toxic another word i don't like to overuse because i mm-hmm. feel like it is overused um but I mean, I could do just like episodes upon episodes about all the things I learned just in that relationship alone, or even just in like the last year of that relationship alone, where I was like in a incognito mode, looking up, should I break up with this person? How do I leave? Like, and I just wanted to just leave, just like disappear and not have to deal with all the fallout. I didn't tell my family for a long time. Um, I just like pretended we were still together. I, it was just insane how deep of a hole i felt like i was in with that mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> that that definitely tends to happen <laughs> um okay so are you okay with moving on mm-hmm. to the last major traumatic thing dating you <laughs> no uh... well uh okay paul before we go before we go on move on um you know i think it, it's it's weird because I feel like I look back on who I was in the, at the beginning of our relationship mm-hmm. and think about how much I've changed. And I like, I don't hate myself, but I'm like, what were you doing back? Like I wasn't, I wasn't serving you as a boyfriend as well as I do now. And for reasons that are apparent to me now, mm-hmm. I'm like, what? Like you said the other day, like, oh, I'd, I'd go to the store by myself. And I'm like, why wouldn't I go with you? Why wouldn't I? You don't have to go with me to, every time. but I know, but I like to now. And yeah. I know it makes you happy when I do. And it it was so often at the beginning of our relationship because Eric's tired from work. And now I'm thinking back, like, just go to the fucking store with her. It'll make her happy. <laughs> like, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, thanks for... Uh, Thanks for sticking around. I think we were both so different. And like, I just, I have so much love for who we were when we found each other Mm -hmm. uh, because we knew a lot less about ourselves, I think. Yeah. And it's just another one of those things where if you're committed, right? Like I felt like in my last relationship, I had like one foot out of the relationship Mm -hmm. the entire time, which I didn't know at the time, but that's definitely always, I always thought like, well, I can just leave. I could just leave. I could just leave. And when you find the relationship where you're actually, you want to grow together, which it's weird. I don't know if you can manufacture that. I don't know if you can be in a relationship that you don't want to be in and go to therapy and make yourself want to be in it, which mm-hmm. we also did go to therapy together. Yeah. I don't know if you can do that. Like, I think you just have to f- wait until you find someone that you actually want in your life forever Mm. and then everything becomes not not that there aren't challenges but it becomes much easier to stay in it you know alcohol is in it (laughs) do you want to explain that real quick before we move on it's a it's an inside joke it's okay don't worry are you sure because it's pretty funny okay i'm gonna explain it real quick now (laughs) I'm, i'm just gonna take the responsibility of explaining it sarah told me about this product she saw one time at the store and you know how sometimes they sell margarita mix that 
doesn't have alcohol and sometimes they sell margarita mix that does have alcohol already in it and usually it will say contains alcohol on the packaging sarah found one that happened to say babe alcohol is in it which is just (laughs) it's just very strange and it's funny to us that that's how they decided to phrase it right last last big experience i didn't forget about it like you almost forgot about me having cancer last episode (laughs) i didn't it's not that i forgot it's just that it's such a you know it's like a thing that we've talked about a lot Mm -hmm. i guess yeah and i i also wasn't you don't think it i don't think very linearly is something Mm -hmm. i've realized is like i it's um it's like a breadth first yeah sort of thing yeah okay so Take it away. What am I taking away? The the thing we're going to talk about now. What are we going to talk about? Your dad. Oh, that didn't even cross you... my mind. That's Uh-oh. another thing. Do you see what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And it's like, okay, so this is going to be a long episode. Shit. Mm-hmm. That happens. <laughs> so uh, my dad passed away in 2016. He had had cancer for a couple years. It actually had gone away and then come back. And I mean, I don't even know what to say about it because it's such a, you know, when it's like when you start riding a bike and you need very specific cues and like you have to go iterate through them all one at a time. Like, oh, my back is like this. Or like when we're doing yoga and Adrian will give us all these little cues. Like, make sure your your spine is lifted or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Draw your navel yeah. up to your chest. And it's very hard to think about them all at the same time. But then once you do something for a long time, it becomes very much a part of you. And then it it's almost becomes difficult to articulate what all those little disparate pieces are. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think they always say it's like almost better for you to... to get instruction from someone who knows just a little bit more than you Mm -hmm. so they're still in touch with what's there before so for me it's been almost five years which is crazy to say and it's almost like i don't there's certainly times when i think about very specific events and i feel very sad and overwhelmed but to me it feels very um woven into my experience now Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah do you have any questions? Do I have any specific- Any questions? <laughs> I have any, another inside joke. Do I have any specific questions? I mean, you know, I, I obviously we're not having this conversation so you can explain in detail everything that happened to you, but mm-hmm. more about how you feel like it changed you and affected you and what you learned from it. Right. Well, I think what I mentioned in the previous episode is that my dad's cancer is kind of was the kind of the catalyst for me trying to lead a healthier life and then going vegan. I'd always had vegan ish tendencies, but I finally stuck to it when he got sick. And you know what? I think actually the biggest lesson I learned from it, and I don't want to do it any sort of disservice to my mom and sister who were living with him and caring for him at the time. And I was in the Bay area living my life and I would try to visit as often as possible but I didn't you know have to bear as much of responsibility as both of them did I I think the biggest lesson I learned is that like sometimes things aren't your fault I think as a result of me being you know very unhappy in my relationship and with my job at the time because I was working 
Starbucks, I think. Um, and just feeling completely lost. Is, that's when I kind of found spirituality. And I found like, you know, spirituality 101 is like the law of attraction manifestation stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I get what I want? I just want more money and a nice car. Say, more specifically, how do I manifest money? Yeah. So that was my intro to it. But I think that there's kind of like the dark side of that line of that mm, that philosophy where you're like in control of your reality is that you start to wonder like, oh my God, what did I do to, to manifest my dad getting sick? Mm-hmm. And can I just, you know, think positively and like raise my vibration and everything will go away and i just kept wanting it to just disappear i just wanted it to go away and i think i felt a lot of guilt for years afterwards because i thought that maybe if i had been more successful like with my channel or something then maybe i would have been an authority they would have listened to me and then maybe my dad would have like eaten healthier or something and then he would have like magically been cured and it's just like, it's not, I, I think the lesson is like, it's not all about you, you know, like some things are just other people's journeys. And sometimes there isn't necessarily some sort of like grand, like lesson. I don't like, sometimes you're not in control of everything. Sometimes other people are going through their own things and you can certainly learn from it and comfort them and be there for them. Mm-hmm but you don't have to take on the responsibility of them getting better. Well, we, we've talked about the idea of sonder together, right? Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Which is, it's basically a phrase, it's a word someone made up, I can't remember who, but they made it up to describe, it's like to describe the feeling that the knowledge, the awareness that everyone you see in your life is having as unique of an experience mm-hmm. in their life as you are. Yeah. All right, so sometimes we get caught up in our the whole world is just ours right yeah like it's all coming from our brains individually mm-hmm. so sometimes it's hard to remember that everyone else is that's also happening to the other seven point whatever billion people on the planet right yeah. and it's hard to understand that mm-hmm. so i feel like it relates to manifest manifestation spirituality in that way because it's like in your head you're thinking well what did why did i manifest my dad getting sick mm-hmm. what did i do it's like, well, everyone else is also, whether consciously or not, manifesting things, right? I manifested getting cancer also. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe I, I'll know, but it wasn't my family's fault. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're all interconnected, but yeah, even though we think everything's mm-hmm. coming from us, it's everyone's having their own experience too. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I won't go too deep into this, but as far as like my fascination with astrology lately... I think what that what it's made me realize is like some things are just like our karma essentially is like it's just a thing that is going to be true of you that kind of colors your story and is there for you to learn from and maybe you didn't cause it you know but maybe even if you didn't necessarily bring it into your life with your conscious intention it's it's still there for you to learn from. So I I think about that when I losing my losing a parent that I really heavily identified with, I think it taught me a lot about following my dreams and not working a job um, just in pursuit of security, like basic security, 
because I knew that he had a lot of other dreams and he had a mind that would have taken taken him in different places than the job that he worked for most of um most of like my life and his intersecting so I think that that's why I'm I'm less afraid of taking risks as far as my career goes I think about how in many ways you know they they say like you don't manifest the child that you want you manifest the child that you need I guess and I think about how a lot of the things that I stand for now are things that my dad kind of poked fun at or thought were kind of preposterous. Like I am the person who's like the vegan and I'm not religious and I'm into all these witchy things. And I just think it's funny and I'd be interested to see what he thinks about it, you know, about me being an, astro- an astrologer mm-hmm. in a couple of years. It really is like the, a primo example of manifest mm-hmm. the child you need. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, do you feel like you do you feel like you expressed everything? Do you feel like you expressed an accurate representation of what your life has been like thus far? I think so. I mean, it, I feel like if we really wanted to <laughs> do it for either of us, we'd both need a second episode we about need ourselves. And uh, an autobiography each. We do. I don't know um, if people would be interested in that right now. Maybe <laughs> right. in the future. Maybe after we do some cool shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm actually surprisingly... I, I f- I'm actually very pleased with how the conversation has gone. Good. Because I think... I mean, last episode, I had a little bit trouble too, like as an interviewer, mm-hmm. like making it all cohesive. Because I think... Um, each of us knows individually like what the most important poignant pieces of our lives have been and it might not look the same to everyone right yeah and i i don't want to continue to rail to rag on (laughs) to rag on myself for how i felt i acted last episode i think part of it is that i was just kind of asking you things and you were just talking about whatever you felt important Mm -hmm. felt was important Whereas last episode, I didn't think anything I was saying, I didn't feel like any of it was important, mm-hmm. which is why I kind of felt like it was, I feel like in this episode, I asked a question and you had a nice flowing <laughs> answer that came to a close. And I feel like with mine, it's like you asked a question and I just like set a little chunk because I'm like, I don't want to be boring. And then like we moved on to the next question. Right. I I think that you need to be a little more gentle with yourself i agree and i i think this is a good lesson for everyone listening is that i i think that the mind remembers what it needs to mm-hmm. at the times when it needs to remember it and you don't need to be in such a hurry to make meaning of all of the experiences of your life in the moment because sometimes i'll there are so many instances in which i'll look back and i'll have this very specific memory And I'll be like, oh, it makes sense. That thing that happened to me when I was five or Mm -hmm. I was a teenager. Like, even when we talk about me revisiting art now, I'm like, oh, it wasn't just like a weird coincidence that I just happened to like coloring books as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, no, that's part of my nature. That's like who I am. But I couldn't have known that at that age because I didn't have the the emotional infrastructure and I didn't have the support system mirroring back to me and validating me for those things, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's funny because when you look back, sometimes you notice that those things actually were there. So maybe my dad 
didn't like give me a bunch of praise about my art right but I made him this bookmark when I was really young and it was like um a bookmark with like fancy I used to love fancy paper like (laughs) construction paper or like marble texture paper and I made it a bookmark and it had like a slidey thing on it so not only could you mark the page but you could like slide it down to mark the line you stopped at Mm. which now that I think about it like isn't really necessary but and he had it he my mom probably still has it you know he used that until he died and like in a similar way I remember I I had this project I did in high school it was like an oil pastel squirrel (laughs) (laughs) that I was really proud of I bet my mom still has it too but I remember ask about both of these things when we're done yeah my mom she like had it for a long time. And I remember like if I mentioned a specific art project, my mom would remember which one I was talking about. So it was like, even if like maybe they don't express their appreciation for something in the way that I might to a child or to you, for example, Mm -hmm. they have their own ways of expressing that. That's another thing I think like astrology has helped me to process a little more and to give me context is there are so many different ways to express love and appreciation Mm -hmm. and my mom does it like a virgo right (laughs) she'll like store things and she'll like give you things that will help you like a very practical grounded love you know Mm -hmm. and my dad would always have like these big he would he would um like have these like a pep talk you know what i mean like i'm so proud like kind of like your dad i guess Mm -hmm. i'm so proud of you I just tell all of my friends and coworkers about you all the time. And I'm so proud of the woman you've become. You know what I mean? Yeah. And my mom would never do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would never do that. Yeah. So it's just, there's so many ways. And you just have to learn how to, that's like what life is, is becoming a little bit more open to all of those things and perceptive. I would do what our dads do. That's <laughs> how I would parent. Would you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good note to end this episode on. I think you encapsulated a lot of feelings very <laughs> mm-hmm. swiftly yeah. and elegantly. Right. And I think it's so important to go back and remember where you've come from because me being a person with depression, I'm always like, why am I so fucked up? Am I going to be like this forever? Should I just, you know, disappear into the mountains? Mm-hmm. But like when I look back, there are a lot of things I've overcome and that, you know, now are just it's just funny it's a funny story but it was all of my life at one point Mm -hmm. and i think that happens if you give life the time to to take you to a new place yeah you know Mm -hmm. so don't take anything for granted i agree Mm -hmm. hey i love you i love you thanks for telling us about (laughs) about your brain and yourself okay and doing it in a a very sarah-like way which means good smart a smart smart way All right. And thank you, everybody, for listening um, and watching if you're watching on YouTube. And we will talk to you next week on time.